Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Every hand listed across this place. Jesus, you're awesome. Lord, you're worthy. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, there is none like you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 We rub shoulders with people all the time. People are searching for this glorious truth that we have a hold of. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, I won't belabor things, uh, but we do want to also keep Pastor and Sister Mayo in prayer. I think Brother Gazond already mentioned that as they return home and travel. And then also for our Bible quiz team. Hallelujah. Many may know, but if you don't, uh, Cornerstone came walking out of there with some great victories. Uh, two national championships. Hallelujah. We, that's 50% of the championships that were available. Hallelujah. So Cornerstone came back. Uh, it's Brother Nathaniel uh, Sakpopo, uh, one of our quizzers. Amazing amazing uh he got the opportunity to go up and they had a bible quizzing presentation and those quizzers i'll tell you what if you have not seen them in action you owe it to yourself to at least go to their matches uh, if your children are not involved it is a big big deal it is an awesome thing to watch those children uh, knee high clear up to the seniors and they're able to quote the word of god as they've got it in their heart hallelujah it is an awesome awesome thing i had the opportunity to see their beginning team uh their first matched uh they did lose, but then they came back with a fury, and they just they took it, took it home. Hallelujah! So, Amen. We're looking forward to them coming back, but let's keep them in prayer as they travel, because uh, they've got lots of traveling, so lots of driving. Brother Oswald is here today. Hallelujah! Amen. He preached last Sunday, did an amazing job, followed the Holy Ghost, was tapped in and tuned in. Hallelujah! Let's put our hands together unto the Lord as He comes and preaches again today. Hallelujah! It. Let's let it roar for the Lord. Come on, clap your hands. Give God praise. Thank you, Jesus. the heart of one coming to the right place at the right time. We ought to all come to this house with a brokenness and a humility that God could speak something into us. I love being social. I love the family. Of God, but there's no one like the Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's entertain his presence. Oh, God.
is here for his people. Hallelujah, Jesus. If you would, Brother Clark, put up Ecclesiastes 12, 13. That's not what we're reading today. This is the cherry on top. If you were here last week, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. I got home and I was studying, and that came to me, and I'm like, man, that was it. That was the... And I got a text on Thursday, and pastor said, can you... Can you preach on Sunday? I said, yes, sir. <laughs> so there it is. And that was the cherry on top. And you, you can be seated for a minute. Pastor had asked me to prepare for another service. And as I began to pray and study, God really gave me two completely different things and I tried to meld them together, I tried to fit them in and I, it just wasn't working, I said what in the world I got this and I got this and I, I don't know what you want me to do and then I got the message Thursday about the news and then it made sense I wasn't preparing for today but God was preparing for today, thank God, because I wouldn't preach. I'll, I'll tell you, i got to deal with God. I said, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. My life is yours. I'm a vessel. But if I don't get a word, I'm not going to preach. Because there's nothing that the wit of man can do for anybody. We need the power of the Holy Ghost and the anointing of the Spirit to destroy the yoke. To free the... The ones in bondage. We need the Spirit of God. And so I'm thankful that he was already, already had it all figured out. You can stand to your feet for the reading of the word. Luke 22, verse 39. Brother Clark, I appreciate you following me with the scriptures. That very helpful. My wife told me when I got home, she said, you know, baby, you need to actually read the scriptures, not just point to them, because some people aren't going to read them, and then they're going to miss it. And I, that's very good advice. I didn't realize I was kind of getting ahead of myself, but it's just so exciting. The word is exciting. Luke 22, 39. Says, and he came out and went, as he was wont, that is accustomed, he's accustomed to doing this, to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that you enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. 
and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said unto them, why sleep ye? Rise and pray lest ye enter into temptation. They were following him, but they couldn't obey his voice. They were in the right place. They were in the right church. They were following the right man, but they weren't eating from the plate that he was putting in front of them. Carnal man is a a difficult time digesting spiritual principle. Jesus, I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for your presence that is here with us today. I know that you're going to do a work today. I know that you've already preordained the words. You've already opened up the hearts and the minds of your people to receive it. God, I pray that you would move in so thick, so strong, that you would shake us today. Come on, open up your mouth and pray. God, empty me of everything that's not of you. Burn the iniquity out of me. I must hear your voice. I must know. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to preach on this thought. Earthen vessels need oars. Earthen vessels need oars. While I was reading, the Holy Ghost prompted me, and I need to take a second and just say I give honor to Pastor and Sister Mayo. I say it all the time, but we wouldn't be here if they weren't here. And his obedience to the Spirit of God, only God knows the sacrifice that goes into that. So I give honor to him and to his wife. It's no small thing to be married to a man that has a burden. Amen. In the dictionary, we find two main definitions of what a vessel is. Number one, a ship or a large boat. Number two, a hollow container, especially one used to hold liquid, something like a cask or a keg. Regardless of which definition we use, a vessel was created to carry something. And I can go a step further and say that a vessel that's not carrying what it was intended to carry is either being misused, meaning it's carrying something else, or it's not being used at all. You and I, human beings, are vessels designed to carry the Spirit of God. That's right. Paul said we, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We are made in his image after his likeness, and we are only complete when his Spirit is dwelling on the inside of us. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, you are not complete. You are either empty or you're full of something else. And you know this. Every man before he has it knows this. There's something inside you hungering, desiring something more. 
You know you were created for more than this world has to offer. You know there's an eternal heartbeat that goes beyond the flesh. It's important to understand, however, that the value of a vessel does not change regardless of whether it's being used or not. A ship is still a ship, whether it's at shore or it's out doing something. And every, every human being, being created in the image of God, there's inherent value to your life. You are valuable. We like to see with our eyes and we say, well, that man is more valuable than I am. It's not true. Your value does not change. But you were still created to carry something else. A ship in shore might still have the same value, but ships were created to sail. Man's forward progress is dependent on putting the Spirit of God in the driver's seat. I'm going to lay I'm going to lay a really long foundation before I start to preach. We have to have the Holy Ghost at the helm. Meaning nothing else makes decisions for us. The carnal man says this is crazy. It's impossible. Yeah, with man it's impossible. But with God all things are possible. Life's a dichotomy. It's flesh and spirit. I'm not going to read it, but, but take a note. Romans chapter number 8. Read at least through the first 14. Flesh, spirit. They that are in the flesh can't please God. If any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Once we have the spirit of Christ, we're, it, was, it was intended that he lead every single move. It was intended, my life is not my own. Once he takes over, the whole purpose of him indwelling in man is that he might get glory out of your life. And once you have the spirit, if you resist it, it's the most frustrating thing that you can do. To frustrate the grace of God, to grieve the Holy Ghost. If you have the Spirit and He's not leading, if you're resistant, it's the most frustrating thing you can do. But the most terrifying thing you can do is let that Spirit lead you where He wants to. You say, what? Why is that terrifying? Because the Spirit of God only leads a man to one place. It's called repenting. And we're so familiar with the word, but when the Spirit of God really leads you to that place, it's your own funeral. It's a death to self. It's a death to your will. It's a death to your desires. It's a death to your plans, your future, whatever you want. You die when you really repent. You die. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I that live, but Christ liveth in me. Paul says, I'm a walking dead man. My flesh is dead. My will is dead. He said, everything that I am, I am by the grace of God. I have no life without him. I have no future without him. He said in Acts 17, 22, it's in him that we live and move and have our being. Galatians 5, 24, he said, they that are Christ's. 
have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. You can't crucify anything unless it dies. He goes on to say, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. That is, if we live by the spirit, if it's the spirit that keeps us alive, then we need to be moving forward in the spirit. You can get the Holy Ghost and you can step outside of the will of God and you can walk in your flesh. Romans 12.1, he said, present your bodies a living sacrifice. A sacrifice does one thing, it dies. Modern Christianity has tried to be tried to be buried with him, but the old man still lives. Jesus is trying to get this through to his disciples in Matthew 16, 24. He said, if any man, no exceptions, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and do what? Take up his cross and follow me. This doesn't even resonate with modern man. What does it mean to take up your cross? A man with a cross on his back knew every step I take is one step closer to losing my life. A man with a cross doesn't have other plans in case this doesn't work out. A man with a cross, he's going one place, and that place is to die. It's for his flesh to die. With a cross. Modern Christianity is obsessed with the cross. Put it around their neck, hang it on their church buildings, put it on their bumper stickers. Do everything but bear it. I'm just setting the foundation. Jesus said this He said, If any man is going to follow me, He's going to pick up that cross and he's going to bear it. He said, it's going to happen to you if you ever really follow me. But following Jesus, it's a lot more than coming to church. Following Jesus is a lot more than being present. The disciples, they were following him, remember, and he said one thing. He said, just pray. And they fell asleep. They were present. They were in close proximity. But they weren't hearing what he said. Don't just be a hearer of the word. Be a hearer and a doer. Following happens in the grind of one prayer meeting after another. Where you crucify your flesh that the spirit can have control. Paul said, I die daily. That death of repentance Why do you think two-thirds of the New Testament was written by him? Why do you think we quote him all the time? He didn't live in a big house. He didn't have a nice car. He didn't have a stately building. No, no. He was beaten often. He was often in scourging. He was fasting often. He was shipwrecked. He died more than once. can't have the calling like that 
unless you're willing to crucify it. So simple. Prayer is so simple. And yet, in my estimation, it's the most difficult discipline to master because everything in this life opposes it. Your social life opposes your prayer life. Your family life, holidays can oppose your prayer life. Even the church environment can oppose your prayer life. Just ask Hannah. Hannah came to church. She was grieved. She was burdened. She wanted to reproduce. And she came in and she was mumbling and she was weeping. And the man of God didn't have a clue. And man, in his high-mindedness, a man can run to the altar and be weeping and be broken. And if we're not walking in the Holy Ghost, we say, oh, it's okay, sir. Your sins are forgiven. It's okay. You don't have to live like that anymore. You don't have to do that. Hannah, you don't, you don't have to be a drunk. You don't. Hannah's like, that's not what's going on here. I'm burdened. I'm broken. I want to reproduce. But Hannah didn't get bitter. She didn't let the environment she was in that was opposed to her prayer life stand in the way. And what happened? She got an answer to prayer. Everything opposes your prayer life, your job, your flesh. The thing you're most intimately attached to opposes your prayer life. Jesus said, just pray. Can he see us? All right. You keep one eye open. I'm going to take a nap. Why? Because my flesh is tired. My flesh is tired. Spiritual disciplines are wearing on our flesh. You can get on Facebook for hours at night and stay up for hours, but you crack a Bible and you fall asleep. Because the, the spiritual man, he's not conditioned in you. We can't be carnal. We can't be fleshly and expect revival to break out. Oh, but it's easy to be disciplined in other things. It's easy. My son's six years old, and he does over 100 push-ups a day. We'll go to Silverwood. He's in line. He's like. He sees a cute girl. He's like, drops down. Literally, in line, he'll do push-ups. My wife and I are cracking up. He puts his feet under the little gate and starts doing sit-ups on the concrete. (laughs) He wants to look good. And if you're disciplined in the gym, you look good. See, this is the difference between prayer and everything else. Is that prayer, the rewards are invisible, intangible. But every other discipline, you get carnal rewards. Discipline in the gym, you look good. Discipline in school, you could be a scholar, you could be viewed as an academic, you can make lots of money. missing a whole lot of other good disciplines, but you can think about them. Some people, if you're disciplined with money, you'll be rich. If you're disciplined with music and you write good songs, you put lots of time on the guitar, you can make good music and you can be famous. But prayer is that unseen, intangible, unpopular discipline 
that captivates the attention of God and lets you know that you're in the will of God, that I am yours and you are mine. Paul said in 9 and 25 of 1 Corinthians, every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate. That's self-control. That's discipline in all things. He said they do it for a corruptible crown, but we do this, us Christians, we do this for an incorruptible crown. And it doesn't make sense to them. It doesn't make sense to the world why you don't go to the ball game because you got to go to prayer. It doesn't make sense why you don't have a TV because you want to honor God with your eyes. And you want to read his word. He said they do it for corruptible, but we an incorruptible. Listen to what he says. Verse 27, he said, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. If you look at that in the Greek, literally what he's saying, he said, I beat my body, not physically. I beat my body, and I make my body, my flesh, my slave. My flesh does not control me. Why, Paul? Why do you do that? Lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be cast away. doesn't matter what you've done in God if you don't crucify your flesh. If you don't pray, your flesh will win. It's simple. If you don't pray, we're flesh and bones. We're going to just drift into fleshliness, carnalness. Everyone in here knows exactly what I'm talking about. So Jesus said, pray, let you enter not into temptation. Doesn't matter how nice we are, doesn't matter how good we sing. How, how well we preach, how many people we talk to. doesn't matter how much we give. None of it matters if we don't get this thing under control. And Paul said, if I don't do this, I'm, I'm worthy to be cast away. And listen to this. This world will tell you that's not possible. This world, Christianity in this world will tell you you can't get away from it. You can't run from it. Just, just accept it. You're a sinner, homie, and you'll always be a sinner. You're going to keep sinning, sin, 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 sin. You know how disrespectful that is to the Spirit of God? The Holy Ghost, the Spirit, the one from the beginning that created heaven and earth. He said, look, I'm going to come and I'm going to dwell in you. And when the Spirit of God dwells in you, if you let him take over, you won't walk in sin. My God is bigger than sin. My God is bigger than carnality. And if you ever let him take over, he will help you. He's your advocate. He's your comforter. He said, pray, got to pray that you don't enter into temptation. If you don't pray, you will. You will. You will enter in, and you'll like it. Hey, I'm flesh and blood. I know exactly what I'm talking about. This ain't me. This ain't me preaching to you. This is me preaching to us. This is God letting us know, guys, I got so much more for you. 
I got so much more power and anointing and authority. But you can't have authority over sins that you haven't beaten your own life. So here, in Luke 22, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus is trying to convey this to his disciples, that prayer is necessary to keep them on the right path. He's saying prayer, prayer is essential to keep the flesh, to keep you out of temptation, to keep that carnal man at bay. Pray that you enter not into temptation. He's our ultimate example. He doesn't do anything that we don't do. And Jesus, we like to to magnify, and we should, the deity of Jesus. But this picture is a transparent picture of his humanity. And so he prays, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He didn't want to take the cup. He didn't, his flesh didn't want to die. You say, oh, Jesus died for me. Yeah, but he didn't want to. He was a vessel. He was a vessel. He was obedient to where the spirit was leading him. He understood my body is just an earthen vessel. So rather than do what he wanted to do, he yielded his body to the spirit. And he said, not my will, but thine be done. This was agonizing for him. When's the last time you prayed with agony? This was agonizing. It was so agonizing that it says something called hema, hema, hematidrosis happened. That's where he sweat great drops of blood. This is medically documented. It happens. The capillaries close to the sweat glands, glands, they burst, and literally you sweat with blood. It's documented. It happens under extreme, intense weight of a stressful situation. Ain't none of us ever prayed like that. He was in agony. He was in travail. This morning, I was out in Cheney at the Cheney Church, and I was praying, and I was watching the steady flow of cars come through the parking lot and go over to the pot shop. I was thinking, man, this kind of stuff used to just break the church, seeing people wrapped up in sin, seeing people broken on the road, on the wide road to hell. It used to grieve the church. It used to cause agony and travail. People used to weep all night. Now it just doesn't even phase us. It's just the way it is. It's just the way the world goes. I'm just going to go to church, clap my hands, run the aisles. Revival comes by birth pains. I've never been pregnant, but nine months of lots of not so fun stuff, I imagine. He was in agony, but he was obedient. Drops of blood were coming from his face because of the agony. Paul said in Hebrews, he said, you've never resisted sin, striving against sin. You've never done that unto blood. And look at what happens in Matthew's account. And this is right after this prayer meeting. Matthew 26, 49. Judas comes to him, says forthwith, he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, where art thou come? Then they laid hands on Jesus, and they took him, and behold, 
One of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hands. Peter drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, and cut his ear off. And Jesus said unto him, put away, put, put again up thy sword in its place. And then he says this in verse 53. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels? 12 legions of angels. He said, Peter, look, dude, you're a man with a sword. Put it away. I'm a vessel. This is where God wants me. He said, didn't you know, Peter, that right now, presently, I could call on my father and 12 legions of angels would deliver me from this mess. 12 legions of angels. One legion, in, th in this time, one legion was 6,000. Okay? 72,000 angels. When God wanted to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he sent two. Jesus said, look, Peter, I got a way out of this mess. Don't you know I could bring Rome to its knees right now? But not my will. Thine be done. I'm going the way of the Spirit, Pete. And if you ever get it in your head, you'll go the way of the Spirit too. I don't want to die. But put away your sword, because if I don't die, you'll never have access to God. And neither will my accusers, and neither will anyone else. I'm letting the Spirit lead me, Pete. I tried to look up statistics, because I figure God only sent two to Sodom and Gomorrah, 72,000. That's got to be every city in the world. Because if he didn't go to the cross, guess what? Game over. He might as well just destroy it and start over. Not my will, but thine be done. The Spirit of God was the wind propelling his earthen vessel to the cross to die. Remember, remember, he's our example. He did it so we could have access to him, so that we could get the Holy Ghost. And yet sometimes that Holy Ghost, that he went through that agony so we could have, it nudges us to pray and we resist him. you open up your phone and you feel the Holy Ghost nudge you the other way and you resist him and you just let the flesh go on without resistance when I say you I say us listen you see the difference between what he did and what we do and what Peter did and what Where's the resisting? Are we resisting flesh or are we resisting spirit? If you give to your flesh, Romans 6.16, he said, no, you're not. To whom you yield yourself servants to obey his servants, you are. If you give yourself to the flesh, you're a slave to the flesh. And you can't be a slave to the flesh and a servant of God. You can't do both. You can come to church. You can preach a sermon. Laying a foundation. Romans 6, 7 said, for he that is dead is freed from sin. He's not talking about the one that dies physically and goes into eternity. 
He that is dead is freed from sin. How? When you crucify your flesh and you walk in the spirit. But when you walk in the spirit, you got to get ready because the spirit's going to disrupt your life. Every one of us, when we were broken, when we were desperate, when we were crying out to God, didn't matter where we were, we started crying to God, and the Spirit showed up, and it interrupted everything. And now I, who didn't really like going to church, I love going to church because the Spirit showed up. Everyone embrace the spirit of God that's in the room. Jesus, remind me, remind me of the time when your spirit blew me to this place. When I was just a vessel, a carnal vessel living on the shore in the familiar with everything that was tangible. And your spirit moved me from that place. That's what happens. This is what happens. And you can, you can think about it. You were there. There was lots to do in your flesh. And you started praying. And the spirit started moving you. Started pushing you. Started propelling you. And it was exhilarating. It was powerful. It was, there was nothing like it. I don't care what I'm leaving behind. This is amazing. And you get out on the open water with God. And then the wind stops. And you get frustrated. I've been in this place. There's people in this church that are in this place. You're frustrated because God brought you out to a place. And then the wind stops. And you know what the familiar looks like. You know what shore has. But out here with God, there's nothing to satisfy your flesh. And now you're out on the open ocean with God. And you can't see your destination. There's a reason. That ships don't leave port without oars. And when the wind of the Spirit stops, you got to take the oars of Christian discipline. You got to take prayer and you got to take fasting. You got to get disciplined and you got to start rowing. When the Spirit stops, you got to just know that you brought me out here and I can't go back where I came from. Jesus is our example. He's in the garden. He's praying. He's in agony. He's saying, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. But he begins to row, not my will, but thine be done. I know you gave me disciples, but they're pretty worthless. They're not getting it. They're not strong. When you're out with God, you can be surrounded by people and feel all alone. Not my will, but thine be done. don't know where you're going it's hard to row it's hard I know it's hard to just grind it out with God when you don't even know where you're going what else are you gonna do you know that it was God that brought you here And you can change churches, you could change towns, you could go to any conference, you could seek the country looking for that spirit, that wind to propel you. But what good is it if you don't know where you're going? And 
so you pull the oars in the boat and you stop. You come to a standstill. Brother Clark, you're a fisherman. What happens when a boat loses propulsion? When it doesn't move anymore, what happens? It doesn't stop. See, we think we can just climb to a place with God and get some position, get some ministry, get to some place, and then just let loose, and we'll just stay there. No, no. What happens when a vessel doesn't have forward motion? It drifts. And to drift is to be at the absolute mercy of your environment. And drifting, the human proclivity, is that we always go away from God. We always drift to the flesh. You can't just happen into spirituality. You can't just drift and land on an island of spiritual enlightenment. It doesn't happen like that. you got to put the oars in the water and move forward with Christian discipline if you're going to make it to the destination that God has prepared for you. abandon the oars I know I know you say well I can't feel God it's time to row when this service ends you come to the altar and you row you set your alarm an hour early tomorrow morning and you get up and you row or you just let your flesh drift you wherever it will let me know how the end of that works out Look at the life of Solomon. The early years of Solomon, he had favor from his father. He had favor from God. He had favor from the prophets. And he had favor from the kingdom. When David's elder son, Adoniah, attempted to take himself and make himself king, the plan was foiled. Because God was trying to elevate Solomon. When you get in the will of God, it doesn't matter. Man can't stop what God wants to do with your life. You can trust that. God will remove things. He'll take down kingdoms to get you positioned. You can trust it. You don't, Christian discipline and prayer, you can trust it. God will take you to places your eyes have not seen. If you will pray, what you do in secret will be rewarded openly, not for carnal gain. But you, so you can be in the will of God, so you can be anointed by God. Solomon had this kind of favor. And it said that God loved him and he loved God. 2 Samuel 12, 24, the Lord loved him. 1 Kings 3, 3, Solomon loved the Lord. And it says he walked in the statutes of David, his father. Follow me. God also gave him wisdom. Beyond anything this world's ever known. And he gave him riches. 
that Solomon begins to drift. And where does that take him? He goes and he makes an affinity with Egypt. He goes and makes peace with that thing that enslaved his ancestors. Oh, drinking's okay in moderation. A little bit of TV never hurt anybody. Sports aren't that bad. Let me tell you something. I believe that organized sports, putting children in them, can teach them some good things. I believe that. It can teach them some things that they don't get at home. But if they spend more time doing that than they do in Christian discipline, we're drifting. Someone in here, your question, and you've been kind of back and forth on the TV thing. What good is it doing for you? Doesn't put anything godly into you. It's a waste of time. I want you to picture Jesus sitting on the couch with you. No, it wouldn't happen. But I bet while you're sitting there watching, there's a spirit there kneeled. God, put it in there, spirit. Solomon made an affinity with Egypt. He made friendly the things that enslaved previous generations. He was drifting. He even takes a wife out of Egypt, brings that thing into his house, lets her worship whatever she wants. There's a whole lot of things. You need to go home and you need to start looking. God's going to give you wisdom. Start looking for things. Cosmopolitan, gone. Allure, gone. Gun magazines, gone. Unless you spend more time in the word, they need to go. I like guns. I like hunting. I like fishing. I like all that stuff. But if it consumes you, it's got to go. There is nothing in this life worth keeping you out of heaven and the best way to get rid of the things that are tempting is to get rid of them far get them gone don't put them in your closet and say oh i'll just not do it for a while no this world is so inundated we don't christianity in 1920 looked a whole lot different than it does right now nothing against where we're at. I came in where we're at. There's so much more. Back to Solomon. His greatness distracts him. His greatness. He lives in the lap of luxury. Think about this. What did Jesus say to his disciples? He said, look, it's harder for a rich man to go through to enter into heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. The eye of the needle, it was a doorway big enough for one man to go through. You could get a camel through it if you took everything off of it and it kneeled down and went through. If it unpacked everything, it could go through on its knees in humility. He said, that's the only way a rich man can go through. Okay? And we compare ourselves to others and so we say, well, I'm not rich. 
because he's way he's got way more money than me. I'm not rich. But this word is global. And the poorest person, a homeless person in America is rich in comparison to the world. Why? He's got a little card in his pocket that gets him food whenever he wants. He can walk up to a wall, push a button, and clean water comes out. We are so rich in this country. We're living like Solomon. Solomon in all his splendor with all his horses. He didn't have an iPhone. I was thinking about this week. My prayer closet is my car. My prayer closet is mobile. I mean... They probably knelt down in dirt and prayed, leaning back in leather. Actually, my truck doesn't have leather. It's a mess. <laughs> That's why I park. I don't even park in the parking lot. But I'd rather have that be a mess than this be a mess. And sometimes I don't got time for that. My time is limited. Solomon. But the great one, the wise one, he wrote a lot down. Gives us some insight. He went from, pull up uh, Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. I'm going to show you how he drifted. He went from saying this, remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee. And say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of God in vain. I don't want to steal and be a heathen after I've taken your name. And I don't want to be so rich that I don't need you anymore. He wrote that. And he went from that to writing this. Ecclesiastes 2, verse number 10. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all my works that my hand had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. And I turned myself to behold wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do that cometh after the king, even that which hath been done already? Then I saw that wisdom excelleth folly. As far as light excelleth darkness, the wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walketh in darkness. And I per myself perceived also that one event happened to them all. Then said I in my heart, as it happened to the fool, so it happeneth to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For there is no remembrance of the wise more than the fool forever, seeing that which now is in the days to come shall be forgotten. And how dieth the wise man as the fool? Therefore I hated life, because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me. For all is vanity and vexation of spirit. 1 Kings 11.4 says, For it came to pass when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord. His God as it was as the heart of his father David. Eight chapters earlier, Solomon walked as David walked. But he drifted. 
when you drift. Worldly nations don't seem that evil. When you drift, things that used to bother you don't bother you. That's not you getting more spiritual. We don't have breath without God. We don't have life without God. We don't have hope without God. We don't have a future without God. And if you drift, you don't really have God. And he doesn't really have you. Brother Jordan. Give him some hope this morning. Earthen vessels need oars. Solomon spent seven years building the Lord's house. And you can look at a man and you can see what he sacrifices for. And you can see what his heart's about. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Are you clinging to it? Are you okay giving it? Solomon spent seven years building the temple. And that seems like a good sacrifice. That seems seven years. I've only been in church eight years, and I didn't spend seven years building one thing. He spent seven years building the house of God, and that sounds like a lot. Until you realize he spent 13 years building his own house. And his own house had a place in it that was built like the Holy of Holies. But it wasn't reserved for God. It wasn't his prayer room. It was filled with idolatry because he was pleasing his wife. Wives. We call him the wisest man that ever lived, and he had all those things. was almost twice as big having God is so much more than a thought process it's a relationship it's this earthen vessel needs that spirit and when that spirit comes in it needs to drive you wherever it will it doesn't feel good to the flesh why that's why you crucify the flesh so that God can have his way takes hunger, it takes determination. Doesn't matter where you end up if you drift there. There is not one road. If you take your hands off the steering wheel, there's not one road that's good enough that you can just drift down and make it somewhere. You got to do this thing with purpose. You got to live on purpose every day. We come to church And then we go back to our lives. In Acts chapter 2, they left their lives for church. How many people in here have the Holy Ghost? Higher, 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 higher. How many do you think that is? At least 100? Yeah. Yeah. On the day of Pentecost, there was only 120 in an upper room. Turn the world upside down. Same God, same spirit, different vessels.
is more powerful than your flesh. You can do it. You got to get out the horse. You got to row. Set it down, sir. It's time to row. Not my will, but thine be done. feel free to come to this altar today without anyone thinking that you're repenting of anything. We all need more God. We all need more spirit. We all need less self, less flesh. Don't drift. Don't drift. You can go from, from having direction to drifting, but you can go from drifting to purpose again if you pull out the oars and you start rowing in the right direction. Come on, brother. Come on. Yes. No more drifting. No more drifting. I will. I will get rid of that thing. God's going to put it in your heart today. The thing that's got to go. No more drifting. No more drifting.